0: Hello and welcome to My Biggest Lesson, the show that brings you the key learnings from the most influential founders, executives, and investors in the Colorado Tech community. My name is Adam Burrows. And I'm Chris Erickson. Together, we are the
1: co-founders of Range Ventures,
0: an early stage venture firm based in Denver. You can find out more about what we're up to at Range.vc. Our guest this week is Greg Keller. Greg is the Chief Strategy Officer and Co-Founder at JumpCloud, one of the more recently minted unicorns in Colorado Tech over the last few years. Greg has a career spanning over 30 years in technology, including launching and operating several startups, globally scaling other growth stage companies, and most recently was responsible for the inception and launch of JumpCloud's award-winning Identity and Access Control platform. Greg, Thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Well, you've got a long history in Colorado Tech, but maybe let's start just hearing about JumpCloud. You're the co-founder there. You guys have done some awesome stuff. Love to hear about what you're up to there and, and that journey.
1: Yeah, for sure. And thanks for the app to talk about the business. We hung the shingle on the door in roughly 2013. I was paired with another Boulder entrepreneur, Rajit Bhargava, through a common friend of ours, a guy by the name of Brad Feld. I had worked on a few different uh, portfolio companies, rather in Brad's uh, venture fund, the Founder Group. For those who are unfamiliar, who Brad Feld is, and it was immediately obvious that both Raj and I are tail wagging, high energy, very motivated entrepreneurs. Uh, Raj being a well, you know, seasoned and accomplished entrepreneur. I've done a few companies. Raj, on the executive leadership, funding, financial acumen kind kind of side of the business, I am you know a career product person, and we decided to go and execute on a problem that generally we were mystified by why any no one really had solved, and what that problem was was why did Microsoft historically have the run of the world on this one obscure, yet extremely critical part of a company's security apparatus, which is known as its directory. And what directories do for the uninitiated is provide it's the central place where all of the employees authentication and authorization to get into stuff happens, right? So um, historically, that was an obvious choice, because when you were building a company ages and ages ago, you uh, you had your idea, you'd find office space and the IT stuff largely think that, you know, over the, the 90s and into the 2000s, the IT stuff was just spoken for. You would buy Microsoft solutions. You'd use a Windows machine. You would probably use their email client Outlook and Exchange. You were using Windows servers to store your files. It was just bliss like for Microsoft. Now, If you fast forward into the 2000s, you know, from the mid to late 2000s, clearly we won't go down this path, but the cloud changed everything. Applications were no longer managed on premise. You were putting credit cards in to, you know, effectively subscribe to the business software you needed as opposed to installing it in a server closet like you did back in the day. Operating systems like MacBooks, like the one I'm speaking to you from today, suddenly became a thing. And largely, when I look back at roughly the last four companies I've helped stood up, it looked nothing like the companies I worked for uh, in the 90s. We were Google Workspace customers, again, lots of MacBooks, anything as a founder that I could take my credit card in, drop in and start using software, I would do that, be it Salesforce or Amazon or whatever. And none of that really, I didn't say the word Microsoft once. So back to the problem that we were trying to solve in companies that looked like that, like our companies, cloud for digitally born digitally native companies, why would I call Microsoft to effectively tie together all those heterogeneic resources? Uh, And that was the problem we set out to solve. And we hung the shingle on the door And this is the one time, literally the one time in the history of working on nascent ideas and bringing them to market and looking for product market fit and getting traction where we never had to say the word pivot once in the journey of this business, which has been like, it's still to this day, like the thesis we wrote for the original product directory as a service, as we called it, hasn't changed. We've just been on a forward march executing with no wigs or zigs or zags or wobbles <laughs> in the journey.
0: That is highly unusual.
1: That's great. Very unusual. Absolutely unusual.
0: And that's really interesting. And, and Greg, it's it's interesting. I mean, th- this such a small world. We had Tom Higley on the yeah. podcast before who was Raj's partner in, in a previous venture. And so really great to see kind of the, the generational dynamic and, you know, creating jump cloud that's you know, hopefully catalyzing some of the next generation of, of Colorado tech. You've, you've seen a bunch here, curious to get your take on how things have, have evolved and changed locally, what it's been like to build really a global company in junk cloud from Boulder.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I'll, let me give you the brief history of time. And if you get to know me, Adam, like my employees and my partners and business associates, I'm extremely transparent. So strap in. <laughs> I was an early employee, the first product person ever at this company, tiny little company in San Francisco that became a pretty big company. And we took it public and eventually sold the business. So my experience, you know, literally cutting my teeth was in aggressive environments of you either fight or die, right? And you worked hard and all of these things like, you know, and you had solid models and solid plans, but everybody was, you know... Generally, oaring in the same direction, and after the business was, you know, public and being sold, and I had an opportunity to move, and my wife and I had babies at the time, and we decided, where do we want to raise these kids? And we chose Boulder, Colorado, for for a number of reasons. Here's where the transparency thing comes out. We get here, boots on the ground. It's beautiful, obviously.
0: This is when, like, two thousand late two thousands two
1: thousand three. Um, okay, okay. Yeah, so uh, you know, it was early yeah,
0: on, really before before there was a, a ton of ton going on in the tech world here.
1: Oh yeah, I mean there were startups, but you'd find mostly you know there were some tech IBM, you know obviously these are big. When you thought tech, it was either defense contractors or IBM, or you know there was some nascent software going on. A lot of it was organic food and those kinds of industries. That's and that's not materially. True at large. There was there was software being built here, business to business software. Foundry Group hadn't even existed yet. There was it was still the Mobius Fund. And we bring up Foundry again only because they are clearly they became the juggernaut, a very iconic group of partners who got together with, you know, just a strong emphasis on high velocity companies and making Colorado part of that scene. So my transparency here is we moved here, and I swear I'm like, oh my God, did I just move to a retirement home? Right, and I'm looking. You know, you you kind of sniff out and who the entrepreneurs are, and um, a lot of it in the early days, it felt like there's a lot of wealthy dudes here who are posturing. Who's getting shit done, you know? And you you generally kind of find out who those people are, and you you create those connections, and you know, obviously, good things happen, right? So fast forward, yes, you could see through the emphasis of tech stars. I, I actually was honored to get accepted and moved a company through that program ages ago in one of the earliest classes. And of course, Foundry Group. And there was just this dynamic movement. Um, the startup week phenomenon was happening. And it, what it really began to show was the coasts, prim- primarily the West Coast or the East Coast in terms of tech startups didn't necessarily have to be the only place where software and entrepreneurialism and all you know things in that market sector needed to exist. And a lot of things were hard to take flight for a number of reasons. So you'd have the smartest thinkers, the most progressive folks, you know, we're on the coast, board members don't like to travel. They want to have you come into their offices. Like these are actual phenomena that are challenges to entrepreneurs, right? But you make do. You make do with what you have, right? No excuses. There's no crying over that. But, you you know, inherently there, there had been historically these problems, the capital problem. The other side of this is there was some disparity in the labor force, right? You could find in software engineers. And, you know, again, this is in the day. And many folks would come out of, pour out of these traditional businesses and they want to sure, I want to do a startup, you know, they're a Java engineer or, you know, what is required to move a company from its earliest phases into something that achieves product market fit and becomes a real thing requires a focus and dedication that when the pow pow days come, you guess what? You can't go skiing. We have deliverables and deadlines. So you have these sort of built-in challenges. Largely, I've seen kind of eradicate because when you see success happens, rumor gets out. We know now how, what it takes to push and push and push and push to see the great idea become reality as opposed to just, yeah, that was a nice idea and a couple million in funding. We did our best and high five ideas. Unfortunately, to me, you know, others may argue they're like precious gems, you know, they're not just totally throwaway. You know what I mean? And I saw a lot of that behavior. Well, all right, we tried our best, didn't we? So again, me being transparent, Adam, but I've seen a lot of that
0: growth. I mean, that, that echoes my, you've been here longer than I have, but that echoes what I've seen as well. And I think the thing that, that we always were looking for, and I think we now have, right, that's the biggest change for me is what you kind of alluded to, which is role models right? You've got a number of companies like JumpCloud that have achieved significant scale, escape velocity, that have a lot of employees there that are like, oh, okay, there's an opportunity to take the elevator in my career. That's what this looks like. There's an elevator to generate wealth, but this is what it takes. And I think i want to to do that myself next, right? And so you're starting to see that flywheel happening. And we think we're still at the early innings of that, but, but great to get validated by kind of your history from even, even, you know, a little bit of a generation before. Um, Love to segue Greg into kind of the meat of what we want to talk about today, which is your biggest lesson. You've obviously had great runs in a number of companies. Learned a lot of stuff, but if you had to pick one.
1: Yeah. So this is a good question. I, I, you know, before, you know, I was invited by you to come on this. I did some, you know, meditation on this meditation in quotes. And there's many, many lessons, but I, I think the most pronounced there are two that probably have the equal weight, and if time, I'll, I'll humor the second one. Let's focus on the concept of what you're going after, all right? And I'll t- I'll talk to you transparently about my lessons. I mentioned before that I was the first product person at a startup in San Francisco that became a global company, right? A publicly traded global company. And what I learned there, which I I couldn't realized that I was learning at the time were business fundamentals. I remember standing with a mentor to to this day, the CEO of that company, the guy who hired me, because he was like the product guy, right? It was his idea and he needed someone to, you know, he reached his runway and he needed someone to keep pushing and executing. And it was a Saturday and we were in the office and I'm we're overlooking Montgomery Street, which is where our office offices were. And I'm looking out of the window and I am watching, we, I'm staring out the window with this guy, Stephen Wong, and we're, we're looking at a parade. And the parade, it was a Yahoo. They like literally took over the streets. This is, let's say 1996. Here I am a young 20 something person and I'm, I'm staring out, I'm visibly angry. And I'm like, you know, we're pushing so hard, all these things. Like, why, why, why isn't that us? That's the baby brain, right? And Stephen, in the old bull manner, puts his paw on my back, his hoof, and is like, "Dude, none of this is real. You are building something real. We build something that people exchange value with money, right? That is not happening out there with that parade of yahooigans and yahoo people. This is all going to vanish, and you watch." And again, I couldn't understand what was going on in the macroeconomic things, how venture capital worked, how people were getting funded on ludicrous ideas like that would materialize later in my brain. We we exit this company and I'm young, you know, swinger with some cash, not a lot of cash, but I'm like, I've learned it all. I've learned all my lessons and I'm going to go and build me some startups and I'm going to be a big fish in this pond called Boulder, which is laughable because here I am with not enough knowledge. I'm largely dumb because I have the pattern of one company and one set of ideas. And and the lesson that was being rattled in our brains, but for some reason we weren't listening to was, folks, are you building a feature? Are you building a product? Or are you folks really trying to change an industry or a category? And, those lessons were being squawked at us over and over in different communication vehicles, right? The way we were being interrogated by venture capitalists, the way the mentors were looking at us. And, you know, fast forward, we didn't modify our behavior, right? And we, you know, we, we pushed this thing out and it was like pushing a rock up a hill. Why isn't the adoption happening?
0: And Greg, is that because you felt like you didn't listen because you had the confidence saying hey i know what i'm doing from this previous previous success right yes,
1: yes I, you know but the the double click on that is when you sort of get so enamored with the technical problem which is a part of an innovator's dilemma not the totality of it but a part of it it is the absolute analogy of myopic behavior like you're focusing on a, such a narrow scope of things, like you're, you're solving a technical thing. and Back to my model feature product category, in every sense of the word, we were actually focusing on a feature. Features are nothing. Features will never create a global, massive business. One that operationalizes and can scale. Products can start to get there, right? But they're like the ammunition in a much larger business. But the vision of what every entrepreneur needs to focus on is how does this invent or otherwise disrupt or change the thinking of pre-existing categories? And that was totally lost, totally missing. And yet it was right there. So you invest your time and, you know, the lesson here is you have to think broadly. The solution isn't as simple as there it is, folks, uh, let's go and execute on this one, you know, piece of minutia because it's yes, it, it's, it's like a snake charming exercise. It's they're incredibly fun problems to solve, but you're missing the macro look at, at what your business could be doing. Long story short, we, you know, eventually sold the assets to the business, but it's a real thing. Like looking back, could, do I, am I going to posture here, Adam, and look at you and say, oh, look, we could have blown out, you know, Instagram. No, they had different ways of looking at how their streams, uh, how the photo would more or less augment things, you know, and the, and the behaviors of people on social media. You know, we weren't, we weren't thinking like that.
0: Yeah, Greg, you know, it's that's a great, a great lesson. It's something we see in a lot of startup decks. You see the classic slide, the competitive slide, where it's, here's our company on a matrix compared to everybody else, and here's the check marks, of course, we have them all. And the and the and the differences between those companies often seem big to the founder who's deep in it, right? And sees like these little differences and features. But we always ask the question, does this really matter? Like how are you really different if you really zoom out, right? And I think that's one of those things that, that a lot of founders miss.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, storytelling is a, a clearly a really important part of the entrepreneur's journey. Whoever the CEO is, that leader is, you know, has to be able to not spin yarns as much as fundamentally never blink. Right. And you can't blink like, you know, generally speaking, when you're looking down at the, the you know, at a, again, a myopic view of some problem. Right. So <laughs> go to the jump cloud thing man, all those lessons, you know, between me being the young product person in the mid nineties in San Francisco to all of the things in between startups, the people involved, the thinking, some of it myopic, some of it big. And taking all those lessons and getting paired with Raj um, is sort of like, this is the final chapter in many ways. And I don't don't mean that in a sort of glorified way. I'm like all those lessons. When we wrote the thesis, it was in its earliest incarnation, not about the product per se. It was about the category, the category, the category. And that was the opportunity. And it would provide us like ample runway to go in lots of different directions based upon how we wanted to modify this critical part of this, I mean, the meta theme is security here, but this, this part of that security architecture, which no one was focusing on.
0: The problem was you articulated Microsoft directories and then building, building a directory as a service, obviously how you go about actually doing that. There's a lot of different ways you could do that, right? It gave you guys a lot of flexibility versus being married to this exact one technical, you know, minutia.
1: Part of the storytelling part, this is a good lesson is how do you want to write and define the category? And if you come at this orthogonally, categories, we all think they're just predefined. Some propeller brains in in Connecticut at Gartner, like are writing all of these things and they're espousing to the world. Henceforth, these shall be the categories, right? That's not how it works. It is literally about you creating the definition, So in our case, pieces of software aren't categories. When you mix and match them, you you then can start to redefine and tell a different narrative. This is the way that we as innovators are thinking what the next 30 years, 50 years of this part of the software category is going to be like. You look historically, this is how it was. If you are inventive, Then you start to tell this is how the narrative of this is how it's going to be. And we are first in in this sector. There's just different ways and strategies of how to do that. But fundamentally, you have to have that level of abstract thought early on in the business.
0: Yeah, that's a fantastic lesson. One last follow up for you, Greg, is you talk about at least on your journey, you had to have all these these lessons learned the hard way. When you meet or see different startups, how do you feel about first time founders versus folks like you that have kind of been through the trenches a little bit and the, and the puts and takes there?
1: How do I feel about them? I'm like, oh, God bless you. <laughs> Good luck, kid. You know, the wittiness aside, you know, I'm amped for him. I, I often think that this country is phenomenal. Um, and it gives so many different people of different walks of life an opportunity to go and build something of substance. I keep reminding folks that it's sort of our obligation in many ways, not that every company can achieve this, but we're here driving the economy. Do not forget that. We're employing people, we're mo- we're helping move capital and growing value. The ultimate expression of that is we bring companies to a state where they're responsible enough that they can be invested in by my mom or by her fund, right? Whatever her fund manager wants. Like, This is how our economy works. And the youngest entrepreneurs, again, you know, haven't seen that yet. As I'm entering my mid fifties, it's like, oh God, you know, this is critical. You know, this is absolutely critical. And when you see the abysmal number of companies that are worthy enough to go public, um, it's tough. It's tough to watch. You know what I mean? And moreover, Finding companies that have the, I guess, the longevity, the, the stay with it power, where in this modern era, disruption cycles, especially in, te- in the tech sector are not 20, 30 years like they were when Microsoft and IBM and Novell and, you know, Hewlett Packard and Intel, when those were investable stocks, right? Well, everybody wants, you know, to be at that level of being an investable entity by the public. The problem is, I don't know if many entrepreneurs understand or have the guts to go and do that. And that's a real thing. I I mean, I look at myself and this is a real thing. It's the ultimate responsibility. So be careful what you are getting into. And if you are getting into it to make a buck, I mean, go ahead, go and do that. But that is just stalling so much of the economy. Yeah, your little thing may add value to a much bigger enterprise. And that is a playbook. And that is a strategy. And people make millions of bucks doing that. That's cool. That, it is. That's cool. But the way we're going to you know, you know, maintain our stance as a great nation, I'm sorry, I'm posturing here, is that level of groundedness that entrepreneurs have to get to before they even look at the first venture guy in the face and say, here's what we're going to go and do and mean it.
0: Absolutely. Greg, that's fantastic. And I, I think we've got a number of those companies and entrepreneurs here in Colorado now, including uh, you all at JumpCloud. So thanks so much for joining us. Uh, where can listeners follow along with uh, with JumpCloud, what you guys are up to?
1: Super easy. We have a number of really cool resources. first is jumpcloud.com. The second is an incredibly well-trafficked YouTube channel. So youtube.com forward slash, I believe it's JumpCloud. search for it and you'll see it. And we put tons of content up there that ranges from not just the IT-focused geeky stuff, um, which we love to have our our personas, our our customers engage with, but the materials range from, that would be very helpful for uh, entrepreneurs like concepts of product-led growth. This is an instrumental part of our company's success was doing everything we've done, 200,000 companies that use JumpCloud every day. And we did this with very little salespeople, right? So there's, there's subject matter there. There's subject matter on mental health and wellness. So I would highly recommend folks jumping in that. And of course, following us on Twitter too.
0: Absolutely. Thanks so much, Greg. Appreciate the time.